Fight Owl Nation, you are now listening to the Owl Chat Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything Kennesaw State Athletics, with your hosts, Kai Millette and John Finer. It is midweek time once again here on the Owl Chat Podcast, and we have a packed show for you guys. I am joined here by my co-host and partner, Mr. John Finer, producer Nick, and social media guide Sim. John, how are we doing today? Man, I'm just glad it's a new week, and maybe we can get some basketball wins, but otherwise, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, how are you, Nick? I'm doing all right. Um, I'm tired. I was up very late last night, didn't get much sleep, but we're here, so let's do it. Oh, and um, and I just want to tease this real quick. Uh, we have some big news, or not news, but I have some rumors on who the offensive coordinator is going to be. And you know, I, I nothing is firm, nothing is official, but I'm I'm fairly confident the rumors are swirling. So hang in and tune in for that. Absolutely, stick around. But uh, before we get to the meat of this show, um, let's just do the flyover. And for the first time in what feels like a lot longer than almost two months, we finally have a lot to talk about across KSU Athletics. Um, So we'll start with soccer as usual. And another week has passed without any announcement or rumor or word of a new head coach. And to be honest, I'm getting kind of tired of mentioning it. Um, After looking back through Walton's LinkedIn, it looks like he was brought over from Indiana in the month of January back in 2015. Um, So the process does seem to be moving maybe a little bit slower than it should be. Um, Tennis is back in action. Uh, The men opened up their season with two matches against D2 top 10 West Alabama today. Um, The second one is going on as of this recording. Um, But in the first match, which I got to attend, the Owls only lost one set across um, doubles and singles matches, finishing with a 7-0 win. Dominant victories from Raul Garcia and Hugo Salmarone highlighted the event. Um, Like I said, second match is taking place currently. If we get an update on that, I will let you guys know. Um, And then next up will be Alabama, Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Um, The women's team was not as successful. They opened up their season in Louisville with a one to six loss with their only point coming with a sweep in the doubles round. Um, But they'll return to action against Georgia Southern on February 6th. Um, In the golf world, the men finished eighth at the Seed Best Invitational led by Clay's Beauregard. I'm really hoping I get that one right. And Hugo Lari. Um, And next up will be the Palmas del Mar Collegiate in Puerto Rico, February 11th through 13th. Should be a fun trip for them. Um, The women will not start play until February 10th at the Columbia Classic in Melbourne, Florida. Um, As for track, track competed at the Bob Pollock Invitational at Clemson, and the event was highlighted by uh, Simon Sides' second-place pole vault finish and Natalie Cummings' sixth-place finish in the 800-meter. And then next up for track is the Doc Hale Virginia Tech Elite Invitational meet. Um, in Blacksburg on February 2nd. Um, as for lacrosse, they get their season underway against USF at home at 11 a.m. at Fifth Third Stadium um, on Saturday. But, John, I know you had some notes on lacrosse as well as softball, so I'm going to throw it over to you. Yeah, I just want to give you guys some players to perhaps watch uh, on the lacrosse side as kind of maybe some breakout names, that kind of thing to keep an eye on. Um, I'd check out uh, attacker Alyssa Angelo, a redshirt uh, senior transfer from Winthrop. In 2022, she started every game and scored 47 goals and was second team all Big South. Last season, for whatever reason, she only appeared in one game. Uh, some freshmen to watch are attacker Julia Morrisrow, a 5'3 uh, freshman from New York, and midfielder Lavona Watkins, a freshman from Chattahoochee High School in Johns Creek. 
Attacker Leighton Payne, who redshirted last season, is another name to watch. So those are some new lacrosse names, perhaps, that we'll see as breakouts. Uh, in softball news, outfielder uh, Stella Henry, Stella, was named to the all-A-Sun preseason team. Uh, the Owls are picked to finish fifth in the preseason coaches poll. Um, somehow, Central Arkansas has a good team somewhere, and they are number one with 10 first-place votes. So congratulations to Central Arkansas on their softball dominance. Good for them. Um, I'd like to remind everybody that the third annual first pitch dinner is tonight, not tonight, is uh, Friday at the North Star Church. No idea if tickets are still available, but I don't think KSU is in a position to turn down a $200 ticket donation. So uh, feel free to uh, pony up and get your steak and cheesesteak or whatever they usually have buffet style. Uh, former Braves coach Ned Yost and former Royals World Series winning manager, he'll be the uh, guest speaker. Uh, and some other baseball news, the Cubs have signed uh, Richard Lovelady to a minor league contract this past week. Uh, the former Owl um, lefty has pitched in the bigs in the past few seasons with the Royals and most recently uh, with the Athletics, the Oakland Athletics. Um, in women's basketball news, uh, the Lady Owls, just like the men's team, uh, lost both games this past weekend and both are now four and three. Uh, they fell 79-60 to 60 to North Alabama on the road. UNA decisively won each of the first three quarters. Trenise Taylor had 8-8, eight and eight, and Harden and Hooks scored double figures. On Saturday, the Owls lost a close back-and-forth type contest with Central Arkansas at home. Princess Harden had 22-14, and 14, but unfortunately, she didn't get much help there. Um, I watched the last seven, eight minutes of that. Uh, Laura Tafali, I think, hit a big three. Then it was like the Owls are up like four or something like that. Central Arkansas came back down, hit a three, and then they kind of took over uh, from there. So uh, that was a tough one. The Owls, the Lady Owls, still have not had a positive assist to turnover game this season, which is pretty alarming to me. And I think they've hit two three-pointers in each of the last four games or so. So we're not getting production there. Um, we need to definitely, uh, you know, do a little bit better. The Owls, of course, uh, play two more this weekend. Um, the uh, KSU NFL Pro Day will be held on March 15th. This is when uh, draft eligible players are able to showcase their measurables and skills in front of NFL scouts. Uh, kids in the Pro Day will be timed in the 40-yard dash, 20 and 60-yard shuttles, three-cone drill uh, before going through position work. Other measurable drills held during the day will include the bench press, broad jump, and vertical jump. Uh, the prospects will also go through a flexibility test, whatever that means, and have their height, weight, hand width, arm length, and wingspan measured by personnel from NFL teams. So this is where kids, our kids can showcase themselves. Uh, this is probably what got Travis Bell drafted last year because, you know, I'm not sure people had him on their radar, but he did so good in the bench press and on some of the other drills. Uh, it really got people's attention. So uh, the Owls officially have announced uh, Greg Harris being promoted from linebackers coach to defensive coordinator. We've kind of known that and mentioned it on past shows, but they've made it official. Um, Harris served as the DC at North Greenville for five years before coming to KSU. Uh, rumor has it that coach Liam Klein is going to move from his familiar position of coaching the D line to coaching linebackers, but that has not been made official yet on the online roster. Those are just rumblings that I'm hearing. Um, the Owls have hired Jaira Wilson as a defensive assistant. 
Um, not sure we've had a generic defensive assistant title before, but he played linebacker at Watson at Wofford, at Watson at Wofford from 2016 to 2019. Uh, 2020, he was a grad assistant at North Greenville and was promoted to a full-time assistant in 2021. He moved to Gardner-Webb as a defensive assistant in 2022 before being named defensive coordinator for North Greenville last season. Um, the common thought here might be that uh, Wilson and Harris worked together at North Greenville because, you know, Harris served as a DC for about five years there before coming over to Kennesaw State to coach linebackers. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, sound, it looks like from my research that Wilson and Harris missed each other by a few months. Uh, the connection here that we're probably looking at is Chandler Burks was on the staff at Wofford as a defensive quality uh, control coach when Jaira Wilson was a senior linebacker. So they probably would have been around the same age, to be honest with you. So that might be the connection that got him to Kennesaw. A few people I've talked to about Jaira Wilson have said, um, you know, some really nice things about him. Um, you know, good dude, um, rising star in the coaching profession. So, you know, possibly really good recruiter. So I, you know, thumbs up here from what I'm hearing. Um, so, fellas, offensive coordinator. I think this is what everybody wants to kind of know about. Uh, this was probably going to be the hook of the show. And, uh, you know, from what I'm hearing and nothing is official until it's official, but, you know, this is the way the winds are blowing. Um, it's pointing to another internal hire. Um, so it looks like we might have, if if this is correct, and again, I'm just, these are just rumors, take it. You know, if you trust me, great. If you don't trust me, I don't care, but great. Um, so the first name we have is... Drum roll, please. Okay, no, we don't have sound effects. You know, we don't have that kind of production value here at the Owl Chat Podcast. Uh, we need you guys to throw us some donations. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, the first name is uh, Stuart Cook. Who He has been the tight ends and offensive tackles coach with the program since 2014. So the guy's been there. He's been loyal. Um, and speaking of loyal, the other co-coordinator is Mr. Chandler Burks, or could be Mr. Chandler Burks. Uh, who has been with us since 2014, except for one year of coaching at Wofford. Um, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I think on the show that, you know, I just kind of floated it as a possibility. I was like, you know what, guys, you know, Klonakis left. I'm just sick of this. Let's just get somebody in there that's going to stay here. I was kind of like, I don't care, whatever. You know what? Let's just make it Chandler, get him a co-coordinator, somebody with a little more experience, and let's just do this. And you know what? Maybe Coach Bohannon was listening to the podcast that day. Who knows? Probably not. But um, I'd like to think that he was. And, uh, you know, I like this because, like I said, Chandler Burks isn't going anywhere. Like, he's probably going to get a nice little raise. He loves Kennesaw State. I don't think he's going to ditch us. for. I don't think he's going to get much more of a promotion for at least a few years beyond this, assuming he's doing a great job. And, uh, you know, Stuart Cook has been loyal for the last 10 years, so... You know, I, I kind of like it, but again, you know, we don't have that guy like Klonakis who has like a million years of experience, literally. Um, guys, you know, what are your first thoughts if these rumors are true? I'll start with Kai. Uh, so it's cheap. Um, like you said, he would be loyal. I don't think that there's like an ultimate loyalty there. Like you said, I think if we go tear up Conference USA and he's the best coordinator at the group of five level like he's going to get another gig and he's going to take the 3x time pay raise or 
an FCS head coaching job, but that that would be, you know, best case scenario years and years down the line. But um, there definitely is the loyalty factor. He's a Kennesaw guy. Um, can't emphasize it enough. He's going to be cheap. It The move makes sense, especially at this part in like the coaching search process. Um, you know, a lot of the names have been picked up elsewhere. Um, so I don't mind it. Um, if it doesn't work out, um, you know, it's cheap and we can move on. If it does work out, fantastic. We can kind of be blind to what Burks' potential as an OC is. We've never seen him as an OC. Um, good for him. He gets his opportunity. Um, but this is going to be a big moment for the uh, Bohannon administration um, and job security going forward. Guys, what do you call an OC that rushes the passer? I don't know, OC, OC Humanura. Huh? Ah, okay. Moving on from that, but you did mention that, um, you know, saving the money aspect on that. Um, that's probably the deal with Harris and Wilson, right? Nathan Burton is probably going to be making more than Harris. I mean, this guy's probably, he's probably happy just to have an, a chance to be an FBS coordinator and a chance to get big money, you know, perhaps at another school. So, you know, perhaps he took the job, you know, getting, it's probably going to be cheaper than Burton. And maybe we parlayed some of that money to get Jaira Wilson. I don't know. Maybe we get a little bit of a pay bump going up to Conference USA, and that could be that could have factored in there. But you're absolutely right, Ty. These got you know, Burks and even probably Cook. You know, they're probably not going to get looks from other schools at least for a few years down the road. Um, if they do good, we're in we're in a great spot. If they don't do good, then you know we probably won't have to worry about that much longer. If you know what I'm trying to get at. So. Right. And I got to be careful with using this word because I don't want it to be true, but you get the feeling that Burden and Klonakis were almost a bit overqualified for the job. I mean, Klonakis had decades and decades of experience um, and had jumped around from school to school. So it wasn't that surprising that he left. Yeah. And, you know, he might have just been like, I don't know about the state of this program. And this is still a long project and I want to go um, be successful. So it makes sense why he ended up at Vandy. And, and rumor has it and rumor has it. And again, I can't, I'm not too sure about this, but I'm just going by conversations I'm having with people, second and third hand information. I don't know if he, you know, kind of melt mind melted with coach Bo quite a bit there. You know, I think Bo wanted to do a lot more under center stuff and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe cook and Burks will have that same mindset from being around um, coach Bo longer and can kind of, you know, maybe coach Bo was kind of, it left his vision last year and we were getting away from doing some stuff that he wanted to do. Not that we had, you know, the roster to really do much anyway, but, right. you know, but Nick, what's your take on all this? I think Kai made a really good point when, cause I, you're this far along and I know there's a bunch of other changes happening in the landscape, but nobody was really dealing with the offensive identity crisis that KSU was dealing with leaving the triple option. We brought in, Klinakis to fix that and to bring in the pistol style and to be completely honest I don't even know if we really ran it successfully last year I don't know if there was a single point in the season where I could look at that offense and be like yeah that's what that's supposed to look like and I'm not saying that as a slight to the players I just don't think it was something that can be turned around that easily when you're recruiting players for a triple option style offense and trying to get them to fit a mold. Uh, what is that square peg round hole kind of mentality that just force it in. Like it wasn't working. Um, my hope is that if it is uh, one of these two guys that you're getting a different viewpoint, it, it's definitely internal, but it's someone who's been here with the program and understands maybe how to combine the two or find the areas to bridge gaps where, if you're working with a mobile quarterback who's only used 
to to running the ball off of um, options under the gun that maybe there's some of that that crossover along the way where Burks can can kind of take on the experiences he learned last year under Klanakis and and develop a a system that both works to get us into the new era of Kennesaw football, but also pays homage to the uh, the, the prior triple option offense. Because I definitely think we are going to see a lot more um, running the ball from under center than we did last year, but I don't think it's going to be an extreme amount. I will say that. Right. Well said, Nick. And um, yeah, it, it seemed like 60 to 70%, if not more of last year was us just running the option out of the gun. Um, and there wasn't a huge difference. I think the huge benefit too of promoting Burks, if that does happen, is it's not a complete abandonment of the progress of the transition. You know, you get the carryover from Klonakis and it's not like, okay, we're tearing it all down and starting all over and going in a totally different direction. You kind of get to keep that going. Um, and Klonakis gets to be the guy who took the lumps that year, you know, and we get to start fresh. Yeah. And, you know, going off of you guys made some good points and I agree with those. I just like to say, you know, getting a new outside OC that would involve this person having to learn the ins and outs of all our talent who can do what, what they can and can't do getting people in to fit what they want to do. Um, you know, it, it would have to be a very shallow, I guess a very shallow search to kind of, you know, keep in with the framework of the players that we already have. Cause we can't do that again, you know, go from, Oh, Klinakis wants these guys to this or that. It, so it is arguably, I'll let you go in a second, Nick. It is arguably the least desirable OC job in America right now. And people need to remember that. No, you're, that you're right with that. Um, this might be actually the perfect uh, opportunity to employ a uh, offensive strategy that I came up with uh, in one of my math classes back in high school. It's the uh, the two quarterback backfield. Um, <laughs> you can hand it off and then have the guy fake a run and then throw the ball out to a tight end in the flat. So uh, be on the lookout for that. That's I'm sure that's on the horizon. <laughs> well, we will. Are you listening, Coach Bo? Coach Klein, are you listening to this? Revolution. Coach Burks, anybody out there? Chandler hit my DMs. Yeah, Chandler, hit him up, man. Hit him up. Um, so, we, de- you know, I read the list of the top 10 things we're looking for, or the top 11 in a coordinator last week, and I said, must not discriminate against people with red hair. And I think I really nailed that one as one of the qualifications. So it's I'll pat one. myself on the back. That's big. Yeah, and uh, last note, you know, Nick, you mentioned about the offense. No offense we worked would have run last year. The NCAA just kneecapped us. They basically took they basically took a pistol, no pun in, well pun intended, and kind of just shot us in the knee and said, "Here, go run the offense." And you know, I would have to disagree. I think with the defense um, we played in some of those games against FCS teams last year, um, I think if we just tried our best to run the corpse of what's left of the triple option, we would have won one or two more games. I think, that is, does, a, I think we could have F- put a 17 against a Charleston Southern or a Tennessee Tech. Does FCS opponents include Sam Houston last year? Because we still should have won that game as well. We, we should have won that game regardless. Yeah. And and that's probably fair, Kai. But, you know, we, we couldn't do that. We had to get the guys ready to play outside of the system. But, yeah, if you if we kept running what we had and, you know, kept those guys in there, yeah, I'm sure we probably could have had like some kind of middling record and be been acceptably bad. Right. There was not, it was never going to be good. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. Um, so you guys, I guess are uh, 
two thumbs up on Burks and Cook, kind of in the middle? What, what would you go on record saying? Situationally, yes. Um, if you had told me that this was going to be the case a few months ago, I would have been like, I'm not so sure. But with all things considered, um, I'll take it. I don't want to complain anymore. Um, yeah. um, I'll be optimistic. Hope for the yeah. best. And I also think it's a positive for maybe the fan base because there's some similar, like there's some familiarity with having Chandler come back. And if it does turn into a success story, maybe we start seeing uh, attendance numbers. <laughs> I'm seeing some faces in the in the Zoom, so I'll concede. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Coach, so Coach Bohannon, um, you know, I think he's going to be able to now put his print on the offense more. Um, and, you know, if he's going to go down now, he's not going to go down via the hand of Chris Klonakis. He's going to go down running what he wants to run and, uh, you know, go down swinging. So uh, we'll, we'll see. That scares me though. I don't know if that's a good thing. Mr. Paul Johnson disciple. Um, well, you know what, if, if, you know, it's better to learn now and go down, go down hard and reset than, you know, anything else. But, you know, I think Bo deserves his chance. Um, and, you know, we'll see what he wants to run and how he's going to run it. But we're, we're definitely bringing in players that are more, uh, how do I put this, more normal football players on offense. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I, I love Bo as a leader um, and I like him as the head of the program. Uh, that dude bleeds black and gold, but I don't know how much offensive influence I want from him um, in 2024 anymore. So that's just me. All right, moving on. Uh, got some recruiting news. Uh, Kansas State has gotten a preferred walk-on commitment from, uh, is it Center College transfer? Long snapper Connor Brennan has three years of eligibility left. So if you guys, you know, get really excited about long snappers, man, you must have, I must have popped you. I could uh, be wrong. This might have been somebody else, but I think he was an Alatuna High School guy. He was. That cool. is, I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure he was, yeah. Local product, yeah. Um, the Owls have also gotten a commitment, which may or may not be a preferred walk-on from Isaiah Williams, a tight end from Pickens County High School in Jasper, Georgia. Um, I do love the name Jasper. I think that's the guy with the with the beard on the Simpsons, right? Could be is wrong this? on that. Yeah, I think so. The old guy with the beard. That's that's Jasper. And feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, fellas. Um, so he lists so Williams listed offers from uh Navy, Maine, Reinhardt, among others. He even tagged uh, Coach Chestnut back in his Navy days in a bunch of tweets. Not sure how committable that offer is anymore or was anymore, but you know. Um, the Owls have also gotten a scholarship commitment from Jaden Kimball, a 60190 linebacker safety from White Knowles High School in Lexington, South Carolina. Kimball listed offers from Georgia Southern, the Citadel. North Carolina Central and has and had a preferred walk-on from South Carolina. Uh, finally, this week, KSU has gotten a commitment from uh, QB Lucas Shearhorn of Klein Oak High School. He's a 60190 quarterback who allegedly runs a 4.4940 uh, and is a under the radar find for uh, KSU. Doesn't really have any uh, great offers or anything like that, but you know I. I talked to Coach Nick the other day, Nick Prada, who does our post-game shows during the season, and we're going to be doing a uh, signing day special type uh, in the next couple of weeks. And, you know, he got really curious about Shearhorn and, you know, took a look at his tape, and he really liked what he saw, actually. So, um, yeah, we'll be on the lookout for uh, that because that's going to be some excellent content, okay? Ooh, ooh. 
Dogwood Golf Club is a truly unique hybrid golf club conveniently located near Smyrna, Vinings, and Marietta. The course is hybrid because they offer membership and daily fee play. Their championship course is challenging for all levels of golfers and is frequently used for practice by some golf teams from a local university. Dogwood is a longtime supporter of all things Kennesaw. Be sure to visit their website at dogwoodgolfclub.com. Dogwood Golf Club, an official sponsor of the Owl Chat Podcast. In some more football news, well, sort of football news, um, former Owls fullback Bronson Rexdiner, now known as Bron Breaker, entered the WWE Royal Rumble as a surprise entrant uh, this past weekend at number 20. If you guys are not familiar with the Royal Rumble, it has 30 wrestlers going to the ring. Um, they come out one by one in like five minute, two, three, five minute intervals, whatever it is. And they throw each other over the top rope. Last man standing wins. So everybody tries to throw everybody else out. Uh, Bronson actually took Brock Lesnar's spot um, at the last minute. And when I say not only took his spot, he took his eliminations as well. Because believe it or not, guys, pro wrestling is scripted, which means that everybody that goes in knows who they're going to throw out and who they're going to eliminate. And this is done for, you know, story purposes and all that kind of stuff. So everybody that the monster Brock Lesnar was going to eliminate, Braun Breaker got to eliminate. Uh, the reason Brock missed the show? Well, I'll let you guys Google that, but let's put it this way. Brock was a naughty, naughty boy. So, uh, you know, who knows if we're going to be seeing him in WWE anytime soon. Uh, Bronson eliminated uh, Jimmy Uso. Uh, he eliminated the seven-foot giant Omas, who is like the worst professional wrestler ever. Well, not the worst. Hey, great colleague. I'm sure you're out there somewhere listening. Uh, he also eliminated Ivar and Finn Balor. Um, it was, and it was later announced that Braun Breaker will no longer be on NXT programming as a regular on Tuesday nights. NXT is kind of like the developmental minor league WWE type deal. He's been promoted to the big leagues and will now be appearing on Friday night SmackDown on Big Fox going forward. So you'll all be able to watch Bronson there. Hopefully he will get a nice push and in non-wrestling terms that means get more tv time and more attention and get to do more positive things in his world um so what do you guys think about Braun breaker because i know we have three wrestling fans here that know everything about wrestling so i'll let you guys opine john i have no idea what you're talking about but i will give you any chance to talk about wrestling um on the podcast uh, and thanks for keeping the people updated on Bronson. Uh, I do know that Brock Lesnar played like two preseason ga preseason games for the Vikings like 20 years ago or something, but that's the extent of my knowledge. Uh, but he's also in UFC. You didn't know that? And he was a UFC fighter and all that. Yeah, and he was on roids, wasn't he? Was? He still is. Oh, sure, but like he got caught. That's that's the extent of my knowledge. Oh, and he has cauliflower ear. They all do. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the, that should be the extent that, of everybody's Brock Lesnar knowledge. We have some men's basketball discussion, and we have a treat here. Um, we, we're going to be talking a little bit of analytics this week, which is something outside of the norm. I think this was kind of driven by our uh, two losses this past week and kind of conversation like, okay, what can we be doing better? So, you know, let's really check under the hood. Let's see what's going on. And, you know, because I didn't want to do that, uh, I made our producer Nick do that, and luckily, uh, Nick had insomnia last night, so he was literally up in the wee hours of the night reading up 
men's basketball analytics. And by the time he was done, he had Charles Stone in the starting lineup as the most uh, as the best lineup. So, Nick, why don't you tell us? Thank you for that inaccurate description of my insomnia last night. Um, No, definitely was like dead in these numbers though there's a lot of interesting things that point to uh things that we've been saying on the podcast things that fans have been saying um so we can kind of just look at it from a high level for a second a lot of people their biggest criticism of our current team is that we move too fast for our own good and that we're not taking great shot selection specifically um uh three-point range now that's part of what we think the new offensive philosophy is so we we kind of understand that and then on top of that we also know that the defense is suffering because of all of this but there's there's some more detail that you can find within the numbers and this is some these are some of the few things that i think i've uh uncovered here so we are best at taking our shots from the corner from corner three and then at the rim Um, no surprise at the rim when you have guys like uh, Damon Robinson, Terrell Burden, even Simeon recently has come on with his inside scoring and uh, RJ shirt certainly looking better uh, there as well. We're shooting uh, corner threes at a 37.4% clip on the season. uh, And that's against 30.8%, which is above the break. So that's basically all three pointers that are on the line, but not in the corner. Um, that's held true in conference play, um, which again is is concerning to to the extent that KSU is top ten percent of D one teams in taking corner threes, and they're also above average in their field goal percentage from there. The thing that does not play to us, however, is that the shots that we are taking from uh, after the break from three point range are not. And it's a big determinant in whether or not we're winning or losing games. When we're winning games, we're taking 38% of our shots at the rim and then 29% of our shots from three after the break. When we're losing games, it's the, it's, it's basically flipped. We're doing 30.6% of our shots at the rim. And then we're doing 35% of our shots from three after the break. So if you're looking at that, That's about 24 shots at the rim to 18 shots beyond the break when we're winning 20 at the rim when we're losing 24 at the break when we're losing. I don't know if I said that right at all. Did that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Now the reason that's important is because our field goal attempt percentage from twos or from the inside the paint twos from middle twos, from corner threes have all stayed consistent within 1% of each other in wins and losses. So there's really no change in the amount of shots we're taking or the percentage at which we're making those shots between our wins and losses in, in those areas where the change is small enough to where it can be covered up by something else. So something that I think might be interesting to try for KSU's offense maybe playing through that corner position and pushing our wings a little further out towards the baseline and passing. So when Terrell brings the ball up the court and he's at the point, you're passing over to the true corner and then you're faking drives or you're actually driving, getting 
to the rim, getting inside the paint or passing inside and potentially drawing in defenders that are up at the top of the paint and then passing back out because then you're going to generate better looks after the break. And then you never know what those percentages are going to look like in wins after the break. It, we are 33 and a half percent field goal percentage. And that's on again, 30% more or less of shots taken there in a game and the losses it's 35% of our shots coming from there. And we're only making 28% of them. That is in the bottom 10th percentile in all NCAA teams. When like it, that's that, that is a big, big factor. So I think driving to those corners definitely can help. Now let's talk a little bit on the offense. I want to hear any questions that you guys might have that I might be able to explain this a little better before I move to defense. No, just to comment. I mean, I see what you're saying. Um, and we definitely have the wings to do that. You know, we've seen Adam McCoy hit the pump fake and take initiative on the offense. Um, you know, and Holt should have the perfect basketball build to do exactly what you're saying and play out of the corner. Um, and that way we would complain a little bit less about him floating around on the offensive side. You know, it feels like he's not really bought into whatever system is going on. Like we ran some sets last weekend, but um, it's still uh, a lot of disorganization. Um, but I see what you're saying. Um, you would hope that the coaching staff would know all this stuff and that we'd see more of it going forward. And maybe they do. Um, but yeah. It seems like uh, King and Adam Akoya are more comfortable putting the ball on the floor than just on Holt. Would you guys agree or disagree? Absolutely. But King to the fullest extent, uh, Adam McCoya hesitates and it almost feels like it just depends on the night. There have been some games where he's taken control of the offense and like he's hit those pump fakes and he's gotten to the rim. And there have been some games where he comes in and he shoots, um, you know, one for four from deep and he sits on the wing or in the corner and that's all he does. Um, but King, I think has done a good job of that. I know the advanced analytics don't say the nicest things about King across the board. Um, and that is something that's interesting to me because he's had a few really, really nice standout games and has been fairly consistent in the stat sheet as of the last couple of weeks. So there, there were also a few games sometime in the season when he hurt his wrist. So that probably, you know, takes into account, you know, two weeks worth of games right there where he didn't produce and, you know, burdens numbers are probably hit by a week due to the flu, where he, he wasn't at his best, that kind of thing. Kings had uh, some like outstandingly um, poor defensive games too as well. And I say yeah. outstanding as in like um, outliers, as in like there have been some games that have been a lot worse than others. Yeah. I think UNC Asheville, he had a really, really rough night uh, on defense and um, they cut his minutes pretty severely. All right, so we'll move over to defense. I, I appreciate you guys kind of piggybacking on all of that because everything you said is right. Now, this is kind of where things get interesting because what I was just saying, moving the ball through the corner, kind of generating those looks inside, that's something that it, it looks like, at least from the eye test when I'm watching games, it looks like it's happening a lot more against us and it's hurting us. We're struggling to limit success and attempts from both the corner and at the rim. We're bottom 15% of D1 teams in attempts allowed from both of those two places. And that's also a big reason in my, uh, a big reason in my head, at least, why we're not able to avoid a lot of these shooting fouls. And that's, again, another big issue. We're sending opponents to the line more than 93% of all D1 teams. Mm. That is astronomical. And when you're giving away free points in a basketball game and you have a 
fairly decent uh, interior defense when when Demond is at full health, and I mean even some of these other guys, I I just I, that that number scares me a lot. The the numbers that don't scare me, we are very good at forcing turnovers. Our turnover percentage is anywhere from fourteen to fifteen percent. That puts us in the top thirty percent of most D one teams. Um, but while we're forcing turnovers and we're able to get these transition looks, we're not able to generate a lot of transition looks on uh, moving from defense to offense on rebounds. And that's because we're not getting rebounds mm-hmm. and we are, we're regressing it, since conference play started, our total rebounds, I believe has declined or stayed nearly stagnant in just about every game. So I, that's kind of your, your, your success or, or, or that's kind of like where you need to focus on for success at the end of the day. If you're a transition team is having a few people crashing the boards and then sending a few people out in transition, you need to have dedicated people who know their roles in that situation. And I think that's really difficult when you have as many wings as we do shuffling in between the three, four positions as much as we do, because I, I think there's times when you, can look at our court and you could say we have a, a two or a three who's playing at the four position, but then next thing you know, we sub out a position group and they get moved up to the two. And then you're like, Whoa, hold on. That, that looks really confusing. So uh, Kai, what do you have on this? Yeah. I'm just, the story really is lack of defensive discipline. Um, our guys get beat a lot off the perimeter. I think that's our, our worst trade on defense is our perimeter defense. And then we have both young guys, um, and guys like Ronji Gordon, who are just kind of undisciplined when um, picking up fouls, right? But I'm glad you brought up the four position, because if you look at this roster, outside of maybe Frank Juan Sherman, if he puts on a little bit of weight, there's not really like a true comfortable four. You got a bunch of guys who are good at the three um, and two guys who are true fives, in my opinion. I would say Robinson and Gordon in this offense are true fives. Um, and you get those, you know, corner numbers, I think, from having that guy who doesn't really know how to play the four and either cheats into playing the three or cheats into playing the five. Um, we see that with Ronji Gordon all the time, or then you get an undersized wing um, who either has a mismatch or, you know, is just cheating up uh, towards the perimeter all the time. So um, I, I, well said, um, you can see it. Uh, and yeah, hopefully with some of these uh, guys we got coming in and the size we have coming in, we'll have that figured out a bit better. Yeah, um, I think Braden Lou, who we have coming in, could be that natural four we're looking for, um, you know, with the size and everything, um, athleticism. He could be a stud prospect. But then, you know, you get to the point of who the hell is going to play the five. So, you know, I don't even want to speculate on uh, on that yet. Well, it's a weird basketball thing, too, because, you know, in the game, true fours are kind of dying on the offensive end. You want to have guys who can run up and down the court and guys who can pull a shot. But, you know, that still needs to be a thing on the defensive end. You need a a second tallest guy who can, you know, just know his assignment, know his role. Um, and it's it's tough to have that. And anybody we put there is a bit of a a bit of a mismatch. Well, well, you know, I'd like a guy like, you know, like Dorian James on North Florida would be like the perfect type before. They still know. exist. They're just becoming more and more rare. Yeah, you got to get that, you know, like Jamel King is probably a little too slight. Holt is probably too slight. Adam McCoy is probably a little too small. You know, just maybe get that, you know, 6'7", 220, 215 type of build can mm. do just fine. I, I mean, what is King? Like maybe 200? Holt is probably under that. Uh, I think Holt might be heavier than King. I don't know. Okay. I'd have to look at it, though. You would know both, better than I do. You've got both are, you think both of them are probably around or under 200, right? 
sure, sure. I mean, it's it's probably one of my favorite basketball players of all time is David West, you know, <laughs> a guy who can uh, be big and hold down the paint and can also pop that to the perimeter and, you know, shoot 35% from three. Didn't he go to Xavier? Yep. yep. We don't, we do not approve of those players here, Kai. So we'll, <laughs> we'll edit this out and post. Fair enough. And it, obviously we're not going to land a guy of his caliber, but um, that, that role is a lost or a dying art in college basketball. And we just don't have one of those guys. Yeah, we could. I mean, they're out there. Like you said, we just need to uh, we just need to find one. And maybe, you know, again, if we can get somebody like even Youngblood would have been perfect. Youngblood was one of the best six foot four rebounders I have ever seen. Um, yeah. I think he would have fit really, really well um, in this offense. And to be honest, I, I would like to have Spencer Rogers back right about now. I think he would be uh, carrying that Adam Akoya slash Holt role um, yeah. a lot better, especially in the <laughs> offensive end two guys who are both natural wing players, not necessarily corner specialists. Right. And they really were able to move the ball in the backcourt too, which helped their game. Yeah. Right. Youngblood is strong and could rebound. And, you know, he would be, an, he would be the four, I think, you know, if Stroud did not exist, right. He could right. be the four in this type of offense, even at his size conference USA. I don't know how that would work exactly. Maybe he needs another couple inches, but you know, he's probably more fit to being the four and what we're running now than probably anybody else that we have. He's a he's a two guard in Conference USA or um, yeah. the American, but in in a son, I mean, he could get up there. He was strong. He didn't turn he the ball right. over a whole lot. He could bring down those rebounds. He would have been a perfect fit, but he's gone now, so no use in uh, dwelling on it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So again, we're we're playing with you know guys who and I talked about this. I think with uh, J Mac off air yesterday. You know, Petway's kind of running the scheme I think that he's going to run regardless it's not like he's saying okay guys here are the guys that we have now let's tweak this and that to do what they do best you know he's coming in and all right for better or worse we're running what we're going to run now next year and the year after get the guys used to it and you know where the chips may fall they may fall so right I, I think there is a little bit of tweaking I think he is running his offense the way he wants to but I think there is a little bit of adjustment for the way Terrell plays and for the way Demond plays like he doesn't get a ton but Demond still does get some paint touches and you know Terrell does still get some of his isolation plays yeah. um, so it's there um, definitely less of it than what we saw last year with Amir um, but I think that will continue to phase out um, which honestly is the way it should be run right now yeah so. Coach Petway definitely has done a good job adapting to Terrell and Demond, but I, I think you play to your strengths while while you have them, and and you 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 make the adjustments along the way. But we don't have like just one hundred percent natural shooters who can make these contested shots without moving the ball. So we need to pick up our passing game and get a lot cleaner in that and generate more open looks, get some movement going on on the offensive side of the and, court. If I see two guys standing on the wings again, I'm going to get upset. And, and that's the thing, though. Burden did do that. Um, I kind of pointed it out on the UCA postgame show. He, there were three times in the second half against Central Arkansas, King, Cottle, and Adam McCoya, where he set them up perfectly. Terrell right. does. Terrell yes. does, absolutely. But I'm talking yeah. about making the second and the third passes, those relay passes. You gotcha. need to be looking for your next pass at all times. And I, I think that was one of the biggest reasons why Amir's offense saw so much success was because it was an unselfish offense. I'm not saying this is a selfish offense, but it's an offense that encourages shots when they're there. Mm -hmm. Let's make sure we're taking the right shots and mm -hmm. finding the open teammates that we have on the court. 
Mm. I do think there is some of that mentality with Petway's offense, as in it's supposed to be take the first good look you get, but that turns into take the first look you get and just put up as many shots as you possibly can. Agreed. Um, yeah. No, yeah. Amir's offense was beautiful. I mean, those those little flare screen screens, you had Chris Youngblood and Spencer Rogers just come up on the wings, dish to them. They can drive, they can pop it out to the corner, they can give it back to Terrell. I mean, it was it was perfectly run. Um but yeah, I'll, I want to pose this question to you guys. Um, and this is for this year in particular. Of King, Adam Akoya, and Holt, who is the most likely to step up and become a like true third option? King. And I, I know there's like, I don't want to be like, okay, you know, everybody's hot at a different time and it's going to be some guys not another time. But I feel like one of them needs to take control and be that best wing on this team if we're going to get to the next level again. I think King, um, he's consistent, you know, he had a, that wrist injury or whatnot, but other than that, he's consistently brought the energy. Um, I think he gives us the most off the, you know, the dribble drives to the basket. Um, athletic is heck, um, probably a little bit more so than the others, more explosive than Holt, I think. Um, I'm going with King all the way if I had to, uh, you know, pick one of those guys that can get us, you know, 12 to 15 points a game consistently. I would agree with King as well. Uh, but I, I think you have to give the nod to Holt on shooting from the perimeter because uh, uh, I just haven't really seen that recently from from King. We, it hasn't been nearly as uh, as successful as it was during that that stretch where he was your profile picture and even before that. But I I, I think he's definitely the better wing that we need right now to be versatile. It's streaky as hell. That's for sure. And like we kind of talked about this earlier in the season, his shot is it's not a thing of beauty, um, but neither is Holt. But Holt seems to be getting them to go in. Holt kind of has a little hitch in his shot, but they're but they're going in. However, Holt, you know, he like King might not be as good of a shooter, but, you know, Holt seems pretty hesitant to put it on the floor. And when he does, you know, he doesn't finish as strong at the rim, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I also I I mean, we did it last time and, you know, it didn't work out super super well but i kind of like having holt and adam mccoy off the bench um so you have that high potential defender off the bench and holt um you know he's had his moments this year but that's that's what he's supposed to be and that's what he can be and then uh, a skilled offensive player off the bench like adam mccoy um like we know he can be so you know your bench unit isn't reliant upon um a good rj johnson versus uh, an obviously freshman rj johnson you know night in and night out um, and that throws king in the starting lineup so um, I think I'd have to agree with you guys. Nick, do you have anything else to add on the analytics, the best lineups, that kind of thing? Um, yes and no. I, I came across a few different things, uh, statistically speaking. And again, this is not based on the eye test because I think on the eye test, a lot of people will disagree with me. But uh, just from the stats alone, I, I'd like to see uh, Frank Juan get a little more of a shot at the four. Um, I, I really want to see him clean up some of the, the foul issues that he has, but he's one of our, our better uh, wing shooters when he's on the court. He was early in the season, and since Holt made his appearance, he has uh, Frank Juan has not been nearly as prevalent. So I would like to see Frank Juan mix in a little more at the four position um, and, and get some more outside looks because he's also a really good rebounder and he was helping those numbers early in the season. I right. think it's and a like, confidence thing with Frank Juan. 
Right. But like, honestly, why not? Because you look at the other options we have at the four and they all have their issues. You know, it's like, okay, well, if we put Ranji at the four, then, you know, we're going to have gripes with that. If we put Holt at the four, then we're going to have issues with that. If we put King at the four, we're going to have issues with that. Why not throw Frank one out there? You know, started at 10 to 15 minutes a game um, and giving those true reps. If he picks up three fouls in five minutes, then so be it, you know, go back to what you were doing. But he's certainly competent. Like he's good enough to play at this level and he's shown that. Um, his issue right now is discipline. But my question is who on this team uh, doesn't have a discipline issue on defense other than, you know, Terrell. So, yeah. So. Well, tell, I mean, there's, there's perhaps issues there being too over, over aggressive, but, you know, but um, I think the team needs to get better as a whole, of course, but like you were saying, you know, Sherman probably fits the prototype of what we're looking for at that position. Not, not saying, you know, the best skill set, the best this or the best that, but, you know, he's, he's got the rebounding, um, he's probably got, you know, the size we're looking for to kind of play that small four that we were just talking about. He just needs to produce. So you guys might be onto something, you know, if he gets the confidence, he starts shooting it again, like he did at the beginning of the season, we might have something. Uh, the final stat that I will leave with everyone here is between Holt, Adam McCoya, King and Sherman. And again, I don't think Adam McCoy would fit necessarily the four, but between those four players, Frank Juan Sherman has the highest true shooting percentage at just above 65%. King is just around 55%. Quincy is around 56, 57. And Jusan's probably 57, 58, where it looks on this graph. So just, just some food for thought. Mm -hmm. Okay. Speaking of, I'm pretty hungry, guys. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you guys don't have anything else, uh, we have the we have to preview the uh, Bellarmine game and uh, the Eastern Kentucky game. I know Kai has some information on Bellarmine. Yeah, so uh, Bellarmine uh, is more or less the same team that they were last year, as in um, they uh, they don't dribble a whole lot. It's pass, 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 shoot. Um, real fundamental basketball. Um, poor defense. Uh, that seems like it's more of a talent thing this year around, but uh, typically they're well coached, but they're having a bit of a down year this year. Uh, they're sitting at five and 17, uh, just picked up their first conference win at home against um, our favorite school, Jacksonville, um, last week. Uh, so they're they're a cellar dweller this year in the A-Sun. Uh, they do have decent size to their credit. Um, one of their best players is a kid named Ben Johnson. Um, he's 6'3", and he's the shortest guy in their starting lineup. Um, I'm trying to find their dude. They've got a 6'10 dude holding down the paint. I'm trying to find his name. Um, excuse my limited preparation for this one. Um, but yeah, they've got decent size across the board. Um, they've got like four different guys who average between 10 and 12 points. Um, so it's very unselfish, very spread them all around, kind of just whoever's having the best shooting night. Uh, they do have a bit of a deeper rotation this year than they did in years past. Uh, last year, they were running about like seven to eight guys a night. Um, and this year they're running like nine to 10, depending on the night. So, um, I would say they're a little deeper, but also the production's worse. So it's hard to make that, um, statement. Uh, but the bottom line is if we lose this game, um, things are really bad and we need to start having conversations about even qualifying for the ASUN tournament. This is 1000% a must win, especially with EKU coming up because look, you drop this one. Um, odds are you're going to be going on the road uh, with a losing record in conference. So um, absolute must win. Uh, and I think we'll take care of business. Yeah, I think it's a must win too. And I also think we're going to take care of business. Um, I don't know much about Bellarmine, but usually they shoot threes pretty good. They're fundamentally sound and they're very scrappy um, is what I would kind of profile them as. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, 
we need to we need to win this. There's no way around that. If we go to Eastern Kentucky, you know, four and four or whatever, I mean, we that then that becomes a must win. If we don't win that, then next week we'll be having this conversation of what you know what the hell is going on. Right, and it's a far less likely uh, must win. So yeah, you know, we got to have that winning record going into EKU. Um, but you know what? If we beat Bellarmine um, and we get our confidence back and we've got a little bit of momentum, we get EKU at home. Hopefully the crowd's all right and people know um, the importance of that game. Then who knows? I think we got a shot. I mean, yeah, we we beat uh, we beat EKU last year, correct? We did. Oh, we split with them. We beat them, lost to them on the road. That's so. right. Yeah. And they're the same team as they were last year, except for Cooper Rob, that uh, the guard, um, he uh, he graduated. But other than that, yeah, they're they're seven and zero now. They weren't doing well in non conference, but they're they're kicking ass. Yeah, I was admittedly a bit of um, an EKU hater, and that was kind of just wishful thinking, me hoping that they fell off hard this year. But that just clearly isn't true. Um, they've dominated their conference schedule so far. They don't look invincible, um, but they are really good. Um, Cozart is probably the best player in the conference. He's averaging almost four blocks a game this year. He's leading them in scoring. He's leading them in rebounding. Um, he's really, really good. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how we match up and uh, address him on Saturday. Um, if we beat Bellarmine, I'm not going to go out and say that this is a must win because I have readjusted my expectations to shooting for like a three or four seed in conference. Obviously, I hope you know it ends up better than that, and I hope we beat him. Um, but if we split this homestand, uh, it won't be the end of the world for what I think we've all come to expect of what this season's going to be. Yeah, I think right now the goal should be a, a round one home game um, in the quarterfinals, which is what, a, a top four seed or something like that? Top four, yeah. And then okay. who knows if an upset gets pulled, maybe you get you know a semifinal at home as well. So I guess it depends on if there's reseeding or not and how that all works. Is there? I actually I don't, don't know. Yeah. Um, but still, but, that, I mean, but that's something we'll discuss, you know, a month or so from now, once we figure out, uh, you know, where we're where we're at and what we're looking at. Uh, Nick, what are your expectations this weekend? I, I want to see some some anger, and I I, I know when when T, when you make TV angry and they start losing games, like he turns into a different player. Usually, it, I I see it within a single game. I really haven't seen it strung over a course of games, but yeah, he was angry these past two games, but he didn't get much help, so. You know, we need to get guys to kind of step up. You can only do as much as your co-stars around you can do when you're as much of a playmaker as he is. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, Here we go with topic Tuesday to close out the show, guys. Uh, So we we proposed, no, we posed two questions to everybody on Twitter. We do this every Tuesday. One is going to be KSU sports related directly, and one is going to be kind of indirectly Kennesaw related. So more of a fun topic for people to answer. Um, And we'll do that one to close out the show. So we'll start with the uh, more Kennesaw State sports topic. So we have a lot of people that replied to us and wanted their opinion on air, and then we'll kind of discuss our thoughts on everything. So the first topic. In the Convocation Center, should the student section be moved to a single section instead of both ends? Uh, First response is from Isaac F. He says, I wish the students were more on the floor level to be more obnoxious, but that's just me. Uh, Chandler W. says, I think having both ends for the students is nice. Not many seats above the basket, so one section would force a lot into the second level seating. I would love to have the sections lowered and closer to the basket, though. Uh, Carrick M says, 
They need to stay the way they are. That way, the two sections can do the Miller Lite chant at each other, taste great, let, and the other side says less filling. Or if you're not familiar with that, this is John speaking, black, gold, black, gold. But, you know, also, uh, Carrick is asking, can you guys have a discussion on a nickname for the Convocation Center? We reduced the Fifth Third Bank Stadium to the bank. The Convocation Center is seven syllables. Can we get it shorter? Maybe the VO, but y'all figure it out. Um, Carrick, I've always done the convo, man. But, you know, we can we can go with the VO. Uh, Jacob L. says, yes, the student section should be in one area, not two next to the band. Uh, Drew Meat says, Drew Meat B says, I'm not sure about the student section. I think it's better to have it split up so that more people can be involved in the game. Jeff P says, yes, if you really want a home court advantage, uh, so it should be moved to a single section, he says. Chaz D says, I don't think I'm too torn on this, but it's a good conversa conversation to have. Having students on both sides allows for students to have an effect on the opposing team during both halves of play. I think it's important that we take some inspiration from some of the schools that have already seen lots of success. Having every everyone on one side amplifies everything on one side of the court for the entire game. Lowering the stands would be significantly more beneficial. Students should be able to see the developing stress acne on the faces of our opponents as they get pummeled by our owls. Well said. Uh, Munzir N says, yes, yes. I, um, I will be yelling at everybody at, on uh, Thursday night's game. Show me your stress acne. Uh, that and you know, hopefully, I'll get to see some. Munzir um, N says, "I like both ends. Cause it keeps the students engaged at both ends. Different from most campuses." Okay. The let's see here. The KSU banana guy Cole says, "No, the convo works great because students don't have to switch sides every half." There is constant pressure on the away team throughout the whole game. Hey guys, it's Kevin says, I just want to extend it them to extend it down the rest of the way. So fellas, um, what are your thoughts? We'll start, you know what, we'll, we'll be different and we'll start with uh, producer Nick. All right. So my take on this comes from being at five years of, women's and men's basketball games in the convo while as a student and now now working inside the convocation center the fragmentation between the student sections is is not i i do not find it appealing whatsoever because half of the students are extremely into it on one end and then the other half are not and that's as simple as it is and unfortunately the half that aren't are the ones that are sitting next to the band and the band generates enough energy on there. So where you kind of have that back and forth. But if we were like any other college, our band would be next to the student section as a whole and then guiding kind of where chants are going or joining in. All the students need to be grouped together in one like solidified area. I would personally rather have our students courtside on the end where the visiting team would be shooting in the second half. Second half is where you make a difference. It's when most people are in the arena most of the time. Uh, I think that the student section should congregate beside the band on one end. And if you if we can't have our ends, which don't go all the way down to the court, just so everyone knows, if they can't go down to the end of the court, the next best thing is putting them as close to the court as they can be, which would either be where they currently are, leaving them, 
which again, that's matter of opinion, or moving them closer towards the middle of the court where they might be able to have a more full and holistic impact. Hi. Uh, Tim was next. Yeah. So I think it was Cole, the banana boy, talking about so students have to, don't have to move sections. I've never seen a student section move at halftime. So Cole, if you want to explain yourself on that, hit us up because I had never seen that before. But overall, I mean, so I went to the Duke and North Carolina basketball games two weekends ago, and they all had it under the basket. And the band was split. So Duke had their band in front of the student section. And then UNC is kind of to the left. Personally, it needs to be one section, like Nick, Nick was saying, and it needs to be down on the floor. If we can spread it across, like five rows in the front that'd be awesome but i think we need a new arena for that um we need to get rid of having both ends of the stadium with students because again the chants are just off um no one one side doesn't coordinate with the other side so banana boys if y'all split up next game maybe that might work try that so that's all what? i have is there any way that we can do this and you know get the students grouped by like um you know this is the this is the loud side versus this is the quiet side like if you're gonna <laughs> scream and yell well here take the side like, by the band it should not be like that you're students like go there and get rowdy like have fun meet new people talk to people like congregate they need to be by the bench of the opposing team that is where you know they'll make their bones kai I was going to add to this and not to keep dunking on the banana boys because, you know, they do good things for the atmosphere and all that. But it's almost their fault that that's the more engaged side because that's where they chose to sit, you know, them and Sidney Crosby, Jersey guy and mm. that redhead kid who's always at the front. Nick, I know you know exactly who I'm talking about. Love you guys. Love love the support they give the program. But, you know, that's like the hardcore side is over there by our bench and it needs to be over by the opposing bench and by the band. I'm completely in with you there that being said like when we have games where we fill both student sections up it's like okay well where else are we going to put them um somebody commented something about wanting to extend the bleachers all the way down to the court um we need to clarify that they can't do that there's like two or three rows that are extendable but they do not it's not designed to come all the way down to the court so there would need to be real maintenance to make that happen um but to be honest i kind of disagree i don't hate the setup we have given the facility we have, especially when it's full. I mean, there have been several games over the last two years where we've had um, too many students show up and they, that's why they have to open the upper levels. You know, that's not just people around Kennesaw coming in, you know, and filling up the stands. That's students who find out that there's a game going on and there's no seats left that are available. So they fill up those top sections, but I don't know. I don't think there's really a good answer. Um, and I think, you know, when, when it gets rowdy, like, a sun championship game both sides were rocking and both sides were good and had an impact on the game so um i don't hate the current setup i think you made a great point kai the banana boys need to switch sides um back in back in my day when i walked through the snow and all that kind of stuff five miles to get to the convocation center um i sat you know i, I sat in the front row of this of the uh, student section because there was nobody there i wasn't even a student but like nobody else everybody's doing their freaking homework i'm not even kidding bringing laptops in the student section and stuff like that um we need we need to you can make some damage there guys 
I mean, I got I yelled at the bench all the time. The, the the people can hear you perfectly. They look up. I've had conversations with Florida Gulf Coast players on the bench about like, you know, Space Jam and Michael's magic sauce or whatever and what their favorite movie is and just just kind of distracting them from the game and, you know, getting on them, trying to get that elusive middle finger, which is kind of like the the gold crown of achievement from the bench. You can make your bones there, fellas. You have to move to the other side. You want to like, you know, show to your coach and your team that you love them, but you're more useful over there. And Tim, what do you got? If you love talking shit to the players, sit over there. Like, not that hard. One thing I will throw on the department, though, being, you know, my critical rant. um, Duke has assigned chant people like they have badges and they literally coordinate with walkie talkies or something in their ear to coordinate next chance and stuff. So I think honestly department maybe hire or shake hands with one of the banana or two of the banana boys, be like, Hey, split up and let's coordinate these chants better. So that way we can get a full student section chant going super cool. And- yeah. I think we should uh, do what Texas A&M does too and have y'all practice the day before games. Let's also get all high major players. That would be awesome too, like Texas A&M has. No, I don't hate that idea though. Um, Nick, you do a great job on the court. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Uh, so, you know, uh, as far as the band goes, you know, how, Nick, how long has the band been regularly going to basketball games? Like, do you know when that started? I know it was happening um, once uh, once the Marching Owls was set in place in 2015. I believe we've had regular appearances since then. I'm not sure what it looked like prior to that because I don't know any of the directors prior to that. So gotcha. I'm, I'm aloof to the 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 earlier days of of where the where the band stood with uh, with basketball. Yeah, I see. I love I'm, I'm kind of torn. I love the band. I love everything that they bring. I love that they yell shit and talk shit. But at the same time, you know, as somebody who prides themselves on not many things, but prides himself on, you know, being able to talk shit effectively without being, you know, in, in good taste, um, without getting kicked out of the arena like myself, you know, the band, they play over you. And when, you know, I kind of make, you know, back in the day before the band was there, I made my bones during media timeouts and it's kind of quiet or there's some speakers that are not as loud as the band really getting in their head during timeouts and that kind of thing. So it's really a lot of, I feel at least as a for, as a former heckler that's recovering, um, that there's a lot of missed opportunity here because the band plays. So that's just me. I think you still have your silences. And that being said, it it might be for the better that it's not as easy to have one-on-one shit talk with opposing players anymore. Yeah. And you have a student section full of kids yelling stuff. Um, but you know, I'm I'm glad it was effective in your day. You could do coordinating many wins, but I'm sure it pissed a lot of people off. So oh, it up. did. Abdul Lewis from NJIT got the middle finger from him back in the day. Um, you know, he hated me. I think Mervyn James of North Alabama, I think, wasn't a fan of me. Um, so, you know, it was, it was all fun time. It's all fun and games till it's some NAIA Baptist school from Mississippi that you're up by a hundred on. <laughs> and, and, and it's great because the student section is elevated on that little perch. So, you know, they can't jump in the stands and get you. If they really wanted to get you, they'd have to climb out and it's a whole thing. So, you know, it's a little, it's a safety, a safety issue up there for hecklers. So. All right. Absolutely. Well, uh, I think there was one more prompt to the, uh, topic yes. Tuesday question, John. 
Yes. Um, and that's why I'm still alive because the student section is so far from the court, FYI. So, you know, that's my take. Um, I like them up there. Um, best coffee shop in Kennesaw slash Marietta area. Isaac F. says, the Lazy Labrador Coffee Shop in downtown Kennesaw. Anonymous friend of John says, Lazy Labrador. Another anonymous friend of John says, never had a drink of coffee in my life, so I can't contribute there. Thank you, friend. Uh, Munzir N. says, best coffee shop, Marietta Perks in Marietta or Starbucks at Bell's Ferry? And I will give Munzir a pass for listing Starbucks because he listed a specific one. So maybe he likes the service at that one as opposed to, oh, it's just Starbucks. Um, and the KSU banana guy, Cole, says the lazy Labrador. So, fellas, as somebody who doesn't drink coffee, I'm going to bow out of this discussion. Uh, who wants to start it? I'm uh, a coffee drinker, and lazy Labrador is one of my favorite study spots. So if you ever see me there, just come say hi. I'm there probably once or twice a week. Um, I feel like that's a cop-out answer because everybody seems to think the same thing. So I'm going to throw in the Marietta Coffee Company, which is like six to seven miles from KSU, um, but it's close enough to the Marietta campus to where I think it's worth the mention. It's a really good spot, good coffee, good environment. Well, um, Kai, what makes, that, what makes the Lazy Labrador so good for those who haven't listened that might want to try it? And no, we're not getting paid by the Lazy Labrador, but if you want to sponsor us, I mean, go for it. <laughs> yeah, we could be. Um, the coffee's good. Uh, it's not stupid overpriced for the setup they have. I mean, it's going to run you just as much as Starbucks will, maybe a hair over Dunkin' or wherever else you get your coffee, but it's not, you know, it's not going to break the bank. Um, it's really solid coffee and it's just a cool setup. It's just like an old house and you can like go upstairs and post up and do homework and stuff. And it's like sneakily spacious, if that makes sense. They've got a nice outdoor seating area. It's in a great location. There's a, a great ice cream spot um, right next door. So uh, location's great. Layout's great. Coffee's good. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's a good spot. And, and before we go to Nick and Tim, um, how would you like to be the Labrador that this coffee shop got named after? I mean, that must suck. Like piece of shit lab. I mean, does the guy name it just by like, you know, what the hell, man? What's going on? Uh, but okay, nobody on this team is lazy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, come on. Thing, all dogs are good dogs. All dogs are good dogs, but like, I mean, come on. Like, you got it. The guy's thinking of coffee shop names, and he's like, "Oh man, this Labrador's freaking lazy." Oh, wow, that's are you, John. Are you a cat dude? You like cats? No, no I hate cats. I love. Dogs. I was gonna say the same thing. I was like, John, it sounds like you're projecting because you seem like yeah. a cat guy. No, I, the thing is, I love dogs. <laughs> I'm defending them because like lazy is a, a pejorative and like, why are you calling a dog lazy? Maybe it's a good, it's a good boy, you know? <laughs> let it slide. Let it slide. Yeah, let you oh. there. All right, Nick, what do you got? I'm a Keurig person, so I, I'll defer to Tim. <laughs> yeah, cafe coffee culture wasn't really a thing when I was at Kennesaw, but I mean, that Dunkin' Donuts, I think off of... uh. Chastain. Chastain. Yeah. That got my business a few times. But yeah, I'm also just like you, Nick. I'm, I'm a cup of Joe at home type of guy. True millennials. All right. So Tim is inviting everybody to his home for a cup of Joe. You heard him there. Um, I think his home will be ready in a couple months for business, right, Tim? Uh <laughs> he resides at Fifth Third Stadium. Yes. yes. There we go. See, I was, I was trying to get you to invite everybody to your house, but apparently I heard it's easy to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> so they say 24 so seven entrance at uh, fifth third bank stadium. 
there are definitely not doors that are always unlocked. Not anymore after that video on uh, on Twitter. It wouldn't surprise me. It's public property, right? And nobody here has ever been there after hours. Never. That's true. That's true. All right, Kai, I guess you take us out and then uh, we'll, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, We will be back to recap EKU and Bellarmine um, on Monday. Everybody have a great rest of their week. Thank you for listening to the Owl Chat Podcast. As a reminder, you can follow our hosts on Twitter X at Kai Millette and at KSU Owl Howell. Make sure you're following our show account at Owl Chat Podcast and have notifications turned on so you're up to date on all new OCP episodes. Be sure to check out Kai's publication at BigOwlBlog.com and John's KSU message boards at KSUOwlHowl.com slash forum. Until we return, stay happy, stay healthy, and as always, Go Owls!